Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. Have you ever known, have you ever known someone um, who, who loves something so much uh, that, that when they, they, they talk about it, they made you at least kind of interested in it? Like, if you've ever heard me talk about Chick-fil-A, um, I, I don't, it's, it's hard to explain how I feel about Chick-fil-A. Um, I, have you ever met someone who loves something so much that you, I mean, you, you might not even, you maybe never heard of it or you don't care about it, but when they talk about it, they make you be like, I mean, maybe I should find out about this thing or maybe I should learn. I mean, this is, this sounds, that's how it was when I met uh, Ruth Ann. So I was cleaning out my house. Um, spring cleaning. I, I was selling a dresser on Facebook Marketplace, and a person named Ruth Ann uh, contacted me about the dresser, and she came to came to the church building to pick up the dresser. Um, and so, let me pause and say this. And I've said this to, to some of you guys before. With a name like Ruth Ann, I figured she's from the South, um, and I guessed right. She she was. And to be honest. Uh, I've shared with you guys before, I can be prejudiced against people from the South. Um, I've had tons of negative experiences in the South. Um, Southern, you know, prejudice against Southern white people. So I, I have often applied those to anyone from the South and that's wrong. So I, I'm having all these ideas in my mind going in my head. And then when I meet Ruth Ann, so when she arrives, She's got all this, all the Southern niceness going on. She's very kind to me and I'm trying to be skeptical, but she has the, she has the, the, this, this passion for Christ that's coming through, um, for Christ and for people. And so we're, we're just talking in this conversation and she starts to talk to me, um, about why she's here to get this dresser. So Ruth Ann introduced me to House Into Homes, the organization that our church is working with to, to help uh, a homeless family. Uh, we're helping them furnish their apartment um, and bring them into a new living space. She talked about how she would meet these families. She'd go to their house and meet their families and walk into their apartments and they have nothing, nothing. Like maybe, maybe a mattress on the floor, but no tables, no, no dressers, no nothing. Um, so she walks in there, she meets these families and then she sends them away for the afternoon and her and her team, they come in, um, just, furnish everything. They do everything. They do it all. They do it all. And then the, they, they, at the end of the day, they welcome the people back into their home completely furnished. And you can imagine what that's like for people who've never had anything. They cry their eyes out. Uh, it, it's, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. You can imagine the joy that they're passing on to the people who, uh, who had nothing and come home to this who come home to this. So I'm listening to her talk about this and it's contagious. It is, to say it's contagious is an understatement. She, and I don't even think that she, I don't think she's trying to sell me on anything or trying to get me to do anything. She's just talking about what she does. And as she's talking about it, I'm just leaning in saying, this sounds awesome. I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it. Um, That's the joy I'm inviting you to this month. Um, I want to help us furnish uh, an apartment together. So you can find out 
how to do that at arborbridgechurch.com forward slash wishlist info. Um, you can also find out um, if you just want to go, you want to skip that, the, the information part and just go straight, straight to our, uh, our Amazon wishlist. You can do that at Amazon church, I mean, arborbridgechurch.com forward slash wishlist. And you can see our list of things that we're, we're, um, we're putting together to provide for, for this family. Um, love for you to do that. Love for you to do that. My friends, uh, Rachel and Lauren Waddell, um, they are, they're helping us make this happen. So I want to invite you to be a part of that. I want to invite you to be a part of that. I've been trying to, um, to go over the Lord's prayer recently with some friends of mine and some family. And, um, when Jesus starts off this prayer, he says this, he says, our father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. And, um, in this book, in this book, um, by, on prayer call, um, I think it's just called Prayer by Tim Keller, by pastor and author Tim Keller. He talks about how we have no idea what, what this means in this culture. We don't, we don't say hallowed ever. And we might say, you know, we might use another word where we might say holy in some context, but in, in our regular everyday life, we still don't know, we don't have a way to wrap our minds around that because our culture, um, we don't, we don't think of anything as holy anymore. We, we try to desacralize everything and make everything normal. So there's nothing holy. There's no limits. Anything goes. Nothing's, nothing, there's, no, no, there's no holy ground. So that will make holiness hard for us to understand or make it hard for us to know what Jesus is talking about. So what did Jesus mean when he starts off this prayer? He says, say, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. And if, if we don't know the answer to that question, if you're a Jesus follower, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we know? So some Bible scholars think that Jesus is asking us to say, holy is your name as a way of saying, as representative of you, don't let me do anything to make you look bad. As a representative of you, let, let, me, let me do life in a way that honors your name, that makes it holy, that makes it set apart. Um, the same way that my kids go out, they represent Canty's. Um, my, my last name is Canty, that they represent us. They, they, take that name and make it look good. Make it look right. Often when I come up here to speak, when I come up here to to, to talk to, to folks online or to folks in person or to folks anywhere, people look at what I'm saying as, as, as words from the Lord or words from God. Even if, even if I say that's not really what it is, I'm just telling you what I think, no matter what I say, that's how people often take what I, what I say. And, and I have news for you. If you're a Jesus follower and the people around you know that you're a Jesus follower, they do the same thing to you, that, that you represent God. And so I think all of us would do well to pray, Father, holy is your name. Don't let me do anything to get in the way of just how glorious you are. Don't let me do anything to make you look bad. Don't let me say anything or do anything or talk or walk in a way that can, I want to, I want to do everything I can to do justice to your name, to make it look like it's supposed to. One way that we steal from God's holiness is ungratefulness or indifference towards God. Like God, eh, you know, he's, I, I like him. He's nice. So, um, 
My wife has been very gracious to me, very forgiving. She's taught me a lot about what it means to follow Jesus, um, to, to experience Christ. Um, I, 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 can, I can be very, uh, very logical. She's kept me from being a Pharisee. I, I, I'm, I'm that guy. I, I can tend to be the guy with the, all the rules and you're going to. She teaches, teaches me to have compassion on people uh, where I wouldn't, wouldn't normally have compassion or I can't get out of my head and think how, what is, somebody, what, what, is, what is everybody else thinking? Not just what am I thinking? And she's valuable. She, she's, God's given, given me, she's given her to me to, um, to communicate her greatness and her value. So, what if on our wedding day, if you got invited to our wedding, what if on our wedding day, you came up to me and you were all excited? You're like, Daryl, it's your wedding day. This is so exciting. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess so. I mean, I guess I'm getting married. Here we go. And, like, and you said, aren't you excited? And I said, no, I'm not really that excited. I mean, I'm just, I mean, this is what we're supposed to do. You know, I'm whatever. When you get to this age, everybody gets married. So I guess that's what I should do too. You would be like, just a minute, I need to go talk to Montina. <laughs> that, that kind of attitude, that kind of meh attitude doesn't live up. It falls far short of the value of what the Lord is giving to me. It falls far, far, far short. It doesn't even try. And this is what I'm saying about the Lord. Ingratitude and indifference toward God. That, I think, I think it's better for, for people to be violent and dismissive toward the Lord than the, the indifference. That those of us who call ourselves Jesus followers to be, yeah, I mean, I, think, I guess. That takes the Lord's name. It, it brings it down. And just like how you, um, you talk and gush about your favorite, favorite things, I would love it. I would love it if we could have that contagious joy when we're talking about Christ. Like, like Ruthann talking about her house into homes. Like when, when, when I talk about Chick-fil-A, I, I, I want <laughs> that's why the Bible teaches this. Listen. Always be joyful. Pray continually. Pray continually and then give thanks no matter what happens. God wants you to thank him because you believe in Jesus Christ. If you believe in Christ Jesus. So, <clears throat> the Bible commands us to have contagious overflowing joy. The Bible commands us to have contagious overflowing joy. And I'm going to pause to give a definition of what I think joy means. Um, 
And this definition comes from a pastor named John Piper. This is what he says. He says, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. When I'm sitting here and I'm watching, I'm watching Ron and Teresa come up and I'm listening to these guys play, I feel like I'm going to explode. I've, the, the Holy Spirit's producing the beauty of Christ. Just, man. Knowing that, let's go back to the command. Always, always, always be joyful. Always be joyful. Which in my mind, I'm trying to, trying to wrap my mind around that because uh, I feel a little frustrated by this command Feelings don't work that way, right? <laughs> Feelings don't work that way. Feelings are often out of our control. There's a person in your life that you cannot stand, right? Maybe it's me. There's a person in your life that you can't stand. Maybe you feel guilty about it. You wished you liked her or you wished you liked him, but you can't stand them. And as soon as you see them, and you, you say, oh, they make me sick. No, oh, hey. You don't have to tell yourself not to like them. You don't have to tell yourself to have feelings about them. You just do. You just do. And maybe it's because of interactions in the past or what she posts on social media or that time she said she was talking bad about you. Those things have contributed to why you don't like her, but no one has to tell you to feel that way. It's visceral. It's deep in you. Um, And it comes out of you. And it's not intellectual at all. So if I came up to you and I gave you a command to like her, I said, I command you to like her. You'd be like, that's... Please leave. I can treat her nice. I can pretend I like her. I can love her, but I cannot make myself like, I hate. Christians don't hate. The Bible is full of commands like this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always be joyful. It commands something that immediately, that immediately I see I can't do and I need the Holy Spirit to bring it about. And some, sometimes, maybe you've heard this before, sometimes Christians try to cheat joy. They say, well, joy, the Bible commands you to have joy, but that doesn't have to do with your feelings. I just want you to picture, I just want you to picture what joy would look like with no feelings. And I want you to picture what that would be like and compare it to what joy looks like when there are feelings. When I say to you, I want you to be joyful always because of Jesus Christ, and you, and you walk around and be like, yeah, but I'm, man, I'm feeling pretty joyful. Or when you gush about then you bring glory to his name. You keep his name holy. But the part we've got to figure out, we can't, don't, don't give ourselves a cheat. The part we have to figure out is if I don't feel joy, how do I get from here to here? 
Because the Bible commands me to feel it, but I don't feel anything. How do, how do we bring it about? Holy Spirit, help me. And that's the first, first, first thing that we got to remember is that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Right? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So what that means is the Holy Spirit's job to bring it about. You just got to put yourself in the position. And that's, what we want, that's what we want to get to. That's what I want to talk about. So let's go back to our, our, our definition. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. One way the Holy Spirit can fill you with joy is this. And I'm, this is all I'm going to focus on for today. There's probably tons of ways the Holy Spirit can do it. I'm going to... I'm going to do one. I'm going to do one. I'm going to do one. And it's this. Gratitude leads to hope. And hope leads to joy. Gratitude leads to hope. And hope fulfilled leads to joy. Listen to this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So, like Chris was talking about this year, this trial gives me this, that trial gives me the opportunity to say to the to the world, holy is his name by how I respond to it. So when I'm in this trial, that I still have hope, when that hope is fulfilled. If you've ever had a hope fulfilled, no one has to tell you to feel joy when that hope is fulfilled. Not only this, but we also rejoice confidently in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces patience, patient endurance. The Holy Spirit helps us rejoice and changes everything to joy in our suffering. So there's a story um, from about 2,000 years ago um, about a priest named Zechariah. And uh, in our story, Zechariah is described as very old. I don't know how old that is, but it's certainly far older than anyone listening. Um, Zechariah and his wife were unable to have children. So when a couple can't have children, as you know, maybe that's you or maybe that's some of your friends, uh, super difficult in any culture, just very difficult. 2,000 years ago in Jewish culture, it was considered disgraceful. It was, it's hard to describe how awful. So women especially would feel an incredible amount of shame connected to the fact that they couldn't have children. Uh, and in a situation like this, it, it would be even greater because Zechariah was a priest. Despite this, despite this, they were grateful and hopeful they're grateful and hopeful because the Bible tells us that they were, they were blameless. Listen to this. Listen to this. It says, once when Zechariah's division was on duty, his priests, the priest, uh, the vision of priests, they were on duty. They were serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood. And we should pause and just say this. Um, Bible scholars don't know what by lot means specifically, but it's like drawing straws or something along those lines. And they, sometimes they would take that as this is God saying, what should happen. He's chosen by lot according to the system of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord to burn incense. And when the time 
when, and when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So we got to pause here and I got to say a couple things about this super quick. Um, Cause there's something really awesome happening here that I never, I would never pick up on or never thought about before. So the Bible tells us that um, Zechariah and his wife were righteous, even, even blameless. And that doesn't mean they didn't sin, but what that means was they had this, they made things right when they did mess up. They made things right. And so they, what would be a better way to, a good way to describe it is they loved the Lord with all their heart and their soul and their mind. So it would have been confusing to them to not have children because at that time they, you know, that would have been looked on as you're doing something wrong. And certainly, certainly somebody in their family or somebody in their circle would have been, you know, counseling them. Hey, uh, you need to figure out what you did wrong so that you guys can have kids. Once you figure that out, then God will let you have kids. So they've heard this their whole life. This has certainly been in the back of their minds their whole life. It would have been confusing to them. They wouldn't be able to figure out what it is that they've done wrong. And we know that God doesn't always work that way now. We know that. But there would, for them, there would have been tears and struggle and awfulness. And despite that, despite that, despite that struggle, they always were able to remember that every good and perfect gift, every good and perfect present comes from God. And that led to gratitude. That led to gratitude and that led to hope. We can put our hope in a preferred future in God because look at all the things he's done for us. Look at all the things he's done for us. So we, even though he's not doing what we want him to do, we can, still, we can still have hope in him. We can still trust him. We can still believe in him. We can still put our trust in him, trust him for our better tomorrow. So which leads us to our moment right here with Zechariah. So Zechariah has chosen to offer incense, which seems, okay, that's cool. Um, <clears throat> At that time, there was about 18,000 priests in Israel or in Judea, 18,000. 14 were chosen each year to offer incense. So what that means is you could go your whole life as a priest and never be chosen to be the person to go in to offer incense. And once you got, once you got to do it once, it was it. You couldn't be chosen again. So this moment of Zechariah being chosen to go into the temple and offer incense. It'd be, it'd be, it'd be like a, a, a movie director getting an Oscar. It, it, it would be, this is the highlight of his career. Everyone would have been talking about it. it this, this, is, this is an amazing moment for him. And what it would have been, part of what it would have been at the very, very least, is God, he would have felt God saying to him, I remember you. I got you. I pick you. I pick you to offer incense here in the temple. And so all this junk that people are saying about, I don't like you or you did something wrong or you're a bad person. It would have been, it'd have been an exciting moment. So a lesser man would have walked away from the priesthood. He'd been like, God won't give me kids. I'm out. Gratitude led to hope. Hope fulfilled leads to joy. Let me just say this. And again, one of the funniest things to me is when, you know, you watch like a, 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 any kind of championship, basketball, baseball, whatever. And at the end, when the, the winning team wins, you see 
Grown men act like 12-year-olds. Jumping on each other, go crazy, crying their eyes out. They spent this whole year investing in something and they hoped that they would win. And hope fulfilled leads to joy. Nobody has to ask them. No one has to beg them. No one has to come up to them. Say, you should feel joyful right now. You guys just won. In this moment with Zechariah, he is winning. He's winning. But God's not done. This, God's not done. When Zechariah, let's, let's, so let me share this verse to you. Zechariah's preparing the incense in the temple. This is what happens. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah. The angel was standing at the right side of the incense altar. When Zechariah saw him, he was amazed and terrified. So pause. Um, in the temple, they have a whole Old Testament history of when you go in the temple, you've got to do everything right. If you, don't do any, if you don't do everything right, you could die. So if you're in there doing your thing and then you see an angel, you're like, oh no, what did I do? The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been answered. Remember that, we'll come back. Your prayer has been answered. Your wife, Elizabeth, will have a child and it will be a boy. And you must call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. His birth will make many people very glad. And he will prepare the way for the Lord. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what Zechariah was praying for. And when you first read it, it seems like he was probably praying for a son. I don't think he was. I don't think he was. I don't even think it occurred to him to pray for his son. His wife, him and his wife were too old. He wouldn't even have thought it could happen. In addition to that, his job that night is to pray for the nation. To go in, the offering incense is praying to the Lord. So his job isn't to pray for himself when he goes in there. He's praying for the nation. He's praying for the Messiah. And so I think when, he, when, when the angel shows up and says, your prayer's been answered, he's saying, the Messiah's coming. Here he comes. What you've been asking for, the Messiah's coming. And bonus, I'm going to give you a son. And Zechariah responds like we all were to respond. We're so old. How can that be? That's why I think Zechariah's hope wasn't in him having a son anymore. He probably had grieved that, got through that. His hope wasn't in the fact that he would have a son. His hope was this. Jesus Christ, please send him. Please send him now. And when that hope is fulfilled, joy. Part of what the Bible is is doing when it commands us to have feelings of joy always, all the time, is it's asking you, it's saying to you, put yourself in position where joy will be easier for you. Put yourself in a position where the Holy Spirit can bring 
the fruit of joy into your life. Put yourself in that position. That's your job. That's your responsibility. I'll take care of the rest. I'll take care of the rest. So I'm not asking you, he's not asking you, when, when, we're, when we're asked, when we said always be joyful, when we're asked that, he's not, he's not saying to try to muster your feelings together. He's saying do things that lead to joy. And here's what we know. Here's what we know. We can develop gratitude. We can develop gratitude. And that gratitude will make it easier for us to develop hope belief or trust that God will work things out in the future for something better. And when we put our hope in the Lord, when we put our hope in him, when he fulfills that hope, nobody's going to have to ask you to have joy. No one's going to have to pull you aside and say, hey, um, you should be joyful right now. No one's going to have to ask you. The Holy Spirit will produce it. So as the Lord fulfills our hope in his ways, in his time, you can look forward to joy. When we have the kind of joy that we're saying, when we have that kind of joy, we're saying this, we're saying, our Father who is in heaven, Holy is your name. We're saying it with our life. We're, we're, we're saying it so. You, and you know this. You know this. You know, you know Jesus followers like this. It, nothing worse than a Jesus follower who makes you be like, oh, I don't ever want to. I want to ask for you to put yourself in a position. The Holy Spirit can produce joy in you. So uh, let's begin today. So each week um, when we take communion together, it's an invitation for us to put our hope in Christ. So if you're like me, what happens, what happens to me often is my hope drifts to other things. My hope drifts to, I hope I get this, or I hope I win that, or I hope I become this. Uh, and, and communion, when we take communion together, is my, it's, it's, this, it's this invitation to, to bring my hope back to what Christ is doing, back to what his plans are, to be grateful for what he's already done, to see what he's already done, and to make it to, to let that develop hope in me for what he's going to do. And as God fulfills his hope in us, he's going to produce joy. But communion is a time to shift our hopes back from the things in our lives that we tend to to get shifted towards to the birth, the death, the life, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And often, often we we don't have joy in our lives because we're not willing to take the risk to put our hope in him. One thing. So, during nearly every during every Lions game that I watch, Rex and I are texting back and forth, and 
I want to win. I want to win. And sometimes, you know, if you listen to sports, you know, sometimes they talk about, you know, losing intentionally, tanking so that you can get higher in the draft. But sometimes what I want to do, what I want to do when I, when I watch them is be like, ah, this is, they're going to lose. And I, I cut off the hope, right? Cut off the hope of winning. So if they do win, I'm just like, eh, that was nice. The reason why it's so difficult for us to produce the kind of joy that we want is our hope isn't in Jesus. Our hope isn't in Christ. You cut that hope off. Put it in something else. So when Jesus is winning in your life, that's nice. That's good. When we take communion together, we make it easier for us to always be joyful when we're brought back to the hope of Christ. We're on the edge of our seats waiting for Christ to fulfill our hopes and our dreams. And when he does, joy. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.